Well, hello and welcome to episode number 380 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and in this week's show, One Airline celebrates 75 years of cargo operations, an A330 doesn't want to take off and we take a look at the ultimate paper aeroplane. In the military this week, Armando shares his personal thoughts on the situation in Afghanistan and he takes some questions from the team and the chat room. So joining me this week, as always, in the PTUK studios, it is of course my amazing co-host, Matt Smith. He's not stressed at all. Hello, Matt. (laughs) Hello. I think it's working. I don't know what's wrong. (laughs) Oh, that was abrupt. Oh, no, that was abrupt. (laughs) No. Okay, we've left we've left Carlos in the left seat this week, and I think it's safe to say it hasn't really gone according to plan. <laughs> but never mind, we'll we'll soldier on. Okay, um, yes, yeah, I'm fine, thank you. We've had some very weird uh, audio gremlins that have been. No, that's that's the you want the picture. No, what's wrong with that? Well, it's dark, isn't it? Never mind. Anyway, uh, we, oh, okay. we've got some, we've got some issues with uh, with the studio this evening, and we literally have no idea why. So we're frantically trying to get to the bottom of it. But uh, the good news is, is Nev is here. Uh, so he's a bit cross that it's known only that we started half an hour late. But other than that, he's still. No, here. I, I'm not crossed in the slightest. <laughs> uh, I think we'll need a meeting after this, don't you? Yes, I think so. Yes, a lie down in the dark. But, but no, these these things happen. But actually, if you think about it, all the I mean, this is episode 380 but all the times we've gone on air live very rarely have we had uh difficulties uh which have caused us to put quite a delay into the show Indeed. so um, yes. but, yeah we haven't so, had one of these for a long while no, no we, we, we're on air that's that's the main thing i suppose let's yeah. see we're on air so thank goodness for that but uh, yeah. so yeah. joining us back this week he's back thank god he's back it is the legend that is armando hey guys that was interesting. The last thirty minutes, that was fun. <laughs> so, for anyone listening you know, to the audio podcast, yeah. you missed the best part of the show. <laughs> totally, that was very similar to walking out to your airplane and just nothing's working quite right, yep. and you get maintenance yep. up there, and they can't duplicate. And at the end of the day, the solution is, you know what? Just pull the power. Let's let's go dark. <laughs> start from scratch. <laughs> Absolutely, and that's essentially what we we've done there. So uh, yeah, it's not uh, a yes, yeah, bit stressful. Anyway, I, we're rapidly yeah. running out of time know, already, so we probably should just uh, bash oh. on. Uh, oh, Carlos is now trying to take us off air. That's good. Uh, <laughs> Some, someone left it hovering over there. Someone else has got control. John's playing around with the mic. Yeah, he's keeping an eye on us. I think right. Shall so we? Armando, you've got uh, our weekly roundup for this week. You've got a bit of info, haven't you? Uh, I do. So yesterday, if you're on social media, if you're on anything, if you're not living in a hole, was National Aviation Day. Lots of great pictures were posted on social media. But uh, in the U.S., that was celebrated yesterday, August 19th. National Aviation Day is observed on the occasion of Orville Wright's birthday. It's been celebrated since the proclamation was made by President Franklin D. Roosevelt in 1939. So just as we were looking this up, it came to our attention that it has actually been 100 years since Bessie Coleman, who was the first African-American and Native American woman to hold a pilot license, as well as the first black person to earn an international pilot's license. And that, that was celebrated, actually, uh, Sisters of the Skies, which we had an interview on the uh, International Women's Day podcast. So 
Well done to everybody in aviation. Happy National Aviation Day. Do you know, I didn't know that. I had no idea that was the case. Um, so, and I, sorry, I knew when it was, but I didn't realize it was celebrated in the way that it is. Um, so, yeah, I've learned something too. Uh, do, I, do you mean social media now? Because <laughs> that's pretty much what I've been boiled down to. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, it's good. And if you think about it, all the, let's think about all the aviation that has gone on uh, since uh, the Wright brothers and all the rest of it. It's mm. phenomenal, isn't it? The first hundred and something years. Yeah, the seven four seven was born. It's still flying. The A three eight was born. It's being Malta smashed. got an airport. Yeah, <laughs> and we know Carlos's priority. <laughs> Quite absolutely. Oh dear, never mind. Yeah, hundred <laughs> years. Can you imagine that? Scary, My goodness, that, the advances we've made. Absolutely. So let's have a look and see who is in the chat room this week. All the usual family members in there, as always, this week. Nice to see you all in there. Uh, we'll have a quick run through. Uh, joining us tonight, we have Mashers in the chat room this evening. Hello to you, Dirk S. Uh, Aircraft 5. Hello to you, Aircraft 5. Oh, some new names. John Ellis. Hello to you, John. For those of you who are new to the show and for a live show, it's not like this every week, trust me. Uh, Nick Codling, hello to you. Uh, Tanya W. Hello to you, Tanya. Uh, Miles High. Hello. Tony S. Uh, Lee Davies, hello to you. Jennifer Parkinson, a certain uh, Jenny in Rome, had, ah, a, yes. had a meeting with I, yes. with Matt this week. Did didn't indeed, you? yes, absolutely. We went uh, for we, I went for lunch with Jenny because yeah, Jenny's Jenny's in Norwich or was in Norwich, was I in should Norwich. say. And uh, yeah, we met for lunch, so that was that very was very nice. nice yeah, uh, David Corston is in Spain. He's okay. uh, joined us this evening. So hello to you, David. Uh, just scroll through, make sure I do it. Masha, hello to you, Richard Adams as well. Um, just make sure I don't miss anyone out from the list. Neville Bounds is also in there. Obviously, you've got to have Neville Bounds in that. Mazus, Kareem, hello to you, Mazus. Uh, we need to make a, uh, get a meet up with Mazus. Really, mm, absolutely. Uh, Shuttlepod well. One, Rackon as well. Hello to you. Uh, and Sturman, hello to you, Sturman. Hello to you. Hope you're well. He's obviously got a decent internet connection this evening. <laughs> and um, yeah. Welcome to everyone who's joined us on the show this evening. So loads of stuff to get through uh, today, including loads of great uh, aviation news. And we've got a little chat. Obviously, Matt will tell us about his little meeting with Jenny as well a bit more uh, later, what they got right. to okay. had a chat about. <laughs> we had lunch. But That's it. If, if, yeah. <laughs> oh, we need to know what the food was. We need to know what the food was. Okay. But uh, we've got loads of aviation news to get through. So we are going to start the show. And as we do each week, we've got a rundown of the weekly news from across the world and the UK. So if all the team is ready yes. let's go. go so kicking off this week's first news story this one comes to us from simple flying and also flightglobal.com ANA's A380 returns to the skies for a second Honolulu trip. Uh, just a handful of operators are currently operating the regularly scheduled A380s at the moment. This month, Japan's ANA joined the club for the first time since the pandemic, returning to Honolulu, albeit only on a minimal basis. Earlier this week, ANA flew its first A380 to, to, uh, to be delivered, uh, Julia Alpha 381 Alpha, to Honolulu. Uh, this marks 
mark the first time the giant of the skies had operated its main route in over a year. On Saturday, ANA switched things up with its other A380, Julia Alpha 382 Alpha, flying to Honolulu this time round. According to chaviation.com, the aircraft first flew on December the 18th, 2018, and is currently valued at just just $78.39 million. Just uh, up and uh, and uh, up until March the thirty first, twenty twenty one, the aircraft has operated just four hundred and twenty three flights, racking up two thousand eight hundred ninety seven flight hours. It seems as though the aircraft uh, will now essentially go back to storage following the brief excursion to Hawaii. According to the schedule information from Serum, the aircraft aren't scheduled to operate passenger flights again until October. Not included in the schedule is a series of charter flights ANA has been operating with the Giant of the Skies. These started as short flights to nowhere out of Tokyo in the months since. Uh, they have grown in length, with flights to nowhere also being operated uh, out of other airports. Now, the airline is also offering two-day staycation charters uh, with the jet as well. And uh, now for uh, the less greater news uh, about the A380, so or th- and the Korean Air uh, is to retire their A380s in the next five years and the 78, uh, 747-8Is in the next 10 years. Uh, the carrier's plans for its A380s and Boeing 747-8 fleets were confirmed by Chief Executive Walter Cho in an interview with Flight Global. Uh, the A380s will be leaving Korea's fleet within the next five years, and the Boeing 747-8s will also follow suit within 10 years, says Cho. Syrian Fleet's data suggests that nine of the 10 A380s and eight of the 10 747-8s are in storage. The average age of the 380s is 9.3 years, while that of the 747-8s is 5.2 years. Korean will also inherit six uh, Asiana Airlines A380s when its acquisition of the rival airline is complete, likely in a few years. And Korean's A380s are powered by the Engine Alliance GP7200 engines, while Asiana's are powered by the more perfect Rolls-Royce Trent 900s. Uh, All six of Asiana A380s are also in storage. And as for the other wide bodies, Korean operates 26 777-300ERs with an average age of 7.3 years. It's also got 10 787-9s and orders for 10 787-9s as well and 20 787-10s. It is not, uh, uh, has not, however, placed any orders for the developmental 777-9. He says, I believe the Boeing 777 is the most successful aircraft in aviation history, says Cho. If asked, I would say the 777-300ER is his favourite model. Uh, While he says, while I haven't ruled out the Boeing 777X, there are some points that still need verification. I may consider it after that. As for narrow bodies, Cho expressed confidence in the 737 MAX, of which Korean has 30 examples on order. And Korean existing narrow bodies inventory comprises of 22 737-800 and 900s and 10A220s. In addition to the 30 737 MAX 8s, it also has orders for 30 uh, A321neos, which will be powered by the Pratt & Whitney PW1100Gs. Asiana operates 19 A320 jets, including four A321neos powered by CFM Leap 1A engines 
and it has orders for an additional 21 uh, CFM powered A321 Neos. Ah, we keep saying it. The end is nigh for um, for this A3 for the A380s. What what do we all think? Hmm. Yes, well, it's one of those things, isn't it? As we've said so many times, it was the the, uh, the right aircraft at the wrong time, and um, it'll be interesting to see how BA get on with bringing their 380s back and see how they get on with load factors on, on the routes that they plan to fly them on again. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a big shame that we're seeing these uh, being taken out of service. Yeah, it's a real shame. I, 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 I still think it's a bit... You haven't uh, had a chance to fly them on yet, have you, Matt? No, I'm all right, thanks. The 3? Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I, you I don't would, know. I, you I, 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 you I, wouldn't I, even know you're in, on an airplane. You're just in a flying building. <laughs> well, I mean, I understand that there, there's like um, from a from a passenger point of view, apparently they're really good. But from a from a cabin crew point of view, they're not quite so good, from what I understand. Well, you're not uh, going to be cabin crew, are you? No, good point. Good point. Yes, I'd probably fill the galley. To be fair, uh, <laughs> I, th- I think if you if you're willing to ride the tube in London, you're, you could probably certainly ride on an A380 right. and be okay. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Yeah, but it, I mean, as I say, I, 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 we've said this before, though, isn't it? It's an aircraft that that arrived too late to the party, isn't it? You know, I mean, if it had arrived around the same time that the seven four, I, I guess technically it wouldn't have been possible to have arrived when the seven four seven was was around. But you know, it, it's it's the four engine thing again, isn't it? We've 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 had this conversation before. Well, the dash the seven four seven dash eights. You know, they said they're only five years old and they're going to retire them. That's a super shame. They're yeah. pretty airplanes too. I like the Asiana paint jobs. Mm. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I think me and Nev were saying when we were in our, in our production meeting last night, Nev, that um, it's going to be the case that, that BA were one of the last big airlines to have as, as many 747s in the world, and now that BA are going to be the last airline to have lots of A380s. <laughs> um, do you guys think, this is, I'm getting philosophical here, do you think they'll make a comeback? Do you think maybe five years from now these like BA these operators will say you know what there is a demand now we'll bring them back I think with the fuel efficiency of the A350s and the new 777s and the 330 Neos I think the the four engine passenger jet aircraft has had its day of that sort of size Um, it's just I don't know I, I, I think it's the, the problem with aviation is is that it follows world events all the time. You know, it's the foot and mouth disease or it's the Suez crisis or it's the pandemic. <clears throat> and uh, it's, you know, various wars that have gone on around the world. And it's very difficult for them to, to judge when to use these aircraft and, and how to use them. Um, I still think there will be a handful of operators that will still um, be, be using them. But then, of course, the manufacturers will say, well, it's going to cost us a lot of money to maintain them and then we might have a concord situation where the manufacturers hiked up the cost uh, so much that neither air france nor ba could afford to operate it true so, uh, tony s yeah. is saying it'd be interesting to see how long how long emirates operates them for because of course they they've got a lot of them haven't they at the moment um i i still think there I, I still think there is there is a market for the, the a380 where they perhaps convert them i don't know you know you they used to convert the 747s didn't they into um, uh, like sort of freighter variants. I mean, mm. do you think they'll do the same with the three hundred and eighty? That's been discussed so many times now over the past that the, the, the Airbus 
380, he's being converted to cargo, but they just can't do it. It's but there so is an A380-F, isn't there? But it just doesn't seem to... No, it's not. It, not there's it, no it, no it doesn't seem yet. to market for it. They, they use 380s to carry cargo during the pandemic, or during the... We're still in the pandemic, but mm. during the pandemic, but they took the seats out. They can't actually physically carry large cargo containers no. in the 380 on the upper decks, especially. No. It's just not... Uh, anyway. doable, but yeah we, we could go on and on so but so we better move on uh we're going to move to story number two and story number two is uh, as always a ryanair story i'm pleased to say um but before i start reading this one from um uh, uh simpleflying.com the headline of which by the way is ryanair branded evil for barring kiwi.com passengers from <laughs> flights now before we start this uh particular article before i start reading it, i'm going to ask the team here uh do you so nev i'm going to direct this uh, at you because you you've been lucky enough to do a bit of flying uh do you know what needs to be asked of you when you check in for a flight um <clears throat> Have you packed this bag yourself, sir? Could anybody have interfered with it? Okay, good start. Okay. Uh, Armando? I don't know. Okay, good. Lovely. <laughs> Thank, thanks for the discussion, <laughs> chap. Uh, <laughs> and the other one is, uh, can you recall where this is asked of you when you check in online? Uh, oh, you need to tick, if that, if that is indeed the question, yes. you uh, have to tick the box to say that uh, you, you have packed the bag yourself and nobody could have interfered with it and that, that kind of thing. I, I think in, in most uh, online ticketing systems, there's, okay. there's that. All right, let's let's see what unfolds then as we read this story. So Ryanair has been branded evil by online travel firm Kiwi.com after the airline revealed it would stop allowing passengers who had booked tickets from the company access to uh, from the company access to its aircraft. Selling flights directly to the cust- uh, to, to the customer has always been the ethos of Ryanair since the very early days when Michael O'Leary turned the airline into a true low cost carrier avoiding commission costs related to travel agents according to ryanair kiwi.com is uh, circumventing aviation regulations by providing passengers with boarding passes directly the uh, airline cites eu regulation 2015-1998 which states the air carrier shall ensure that passengers are informed of the prohibitive prohibited articles listed in attachment 4c before check-in is completed passengers shall be informed of the prohibited articles listed in attachment 5b before check-in is completed Ryanair argues that it cannot ensure that passengers have been informed of these prohibited articles when kiwi.com completes the check-in process as a result Ryanair told simple flying that it has decided to ban passengers holding kiwi Kiwi.com boarding passes from boarding any of its flights as they have not complied with Ryanair's safety and security protocols during check-in. The Kiwi.com booking process offers a feature to automatically check passengers in for flights once their name and passport number has been provided. The free service then uh, sends the generated boarding pass to the passenger. Kiwi.com told Simple Flying that these are precisely the same as the Ryanair boarding passes, but with the Kiwi.com colours and branding instead of Ryanair's blue and yellow. 
Kiwi.com stood by its decision telling Simple Flying that there is no such fake boarding pass. Kiwi.com complies with all the requirements to ensure safe travel for our customers and have done so for years. While Ryanair isn't happy with Kiwi.com, it seems as though the feeling is mutual. Kiwi.com said threatening not to board customers is petty and an evil Ryanair practice to try and stifle customer choice. The real reason for this action is because Kiwi.com often sells Ryanair tickets cheaper than Ryanair and they don't like it. (laughs) To sell these tickets cheaper than Ryanair, (laughs) Kiwi.com sells the fare at a lower price but makes a profit when selling ancillaries such as boarding, uh, a priority boarding or checked baggage such uh, as it is at the low cost airline. Kiwi.com goes further. While Ryanair typically only offers point to point flight boarding, Kiwi.com also allows passengers to book self-connections with the carrier including a dedicated transfer service at some airports such as Milan and Budapest. Under a month ago, Simple Flying reported that Southwest Airlines had sued Kiwi.com stating that the website violated Southwest Airlines terms and conditions by selling tickets without permission. So, how could they offer flights cheaper? I, if Ryanair so here's for how they, Yeah. <laughs> so I true. I use kiwi.com since it started. I actually <gasps> when I lived over there in the UK, I almost always used Kiwi. When they started, they had a really good uh refund policy and a and a travel guarantee where if you miss connections and things like that, they would cover you. I remember um, so one time I, I booked on Kiwi to from London to Reno, and that took me – so the way they do it is it was a self-transfer, and I was happy to do it with just a, a backpack, right? So I didn't have to check bags. But it was, it was one separate reservation from uh, London to Oakland and then on, – on Norwegian, I believe. And then what essentially they did is they booked a second ticket, a second reservation – from Oakland to Reno. That's how they're able to do uh, some some really cheap uh, total fares. In addition to that, Kiwi.com does ghost flights, and they tell you about it. They tell you about it when you book the ticket. So that's uh, if I want to go from Charlotte, North Carolina to Washington, Dulles, it may be cheaper to book a flight from Charlotte, North Carolina to Burlington, Vermont via Dulles than it is to book a direct flight there. Now, Kiwi.com is open about this practice. When you book the ticket, they tell you, they give you a little disclaimer saying, hey, this includes a flight segment that is that is you are not going to complete. The airline may ask you, because I think most airlines don't like that, they may ask you about it, but rest assured it is perfectly within the bounds of the law. So they, they get a, they find these loopholes to, to offer a cheaper... Uh, cheaper total fare than through any of the other, you know, Expedia, Yahoo, um, Kayak, any of those other uh, providers' orbits, so or or directly through the carrier. So I think a lot of carriers are trying to just figure out how to get rid of Kiwi. Um, yeah, you know. So is is it? I mean, is it literally what they're saying then? It's essentially that they don't like the idea of of somebody sort of muscling in on their on their ticketing, if you like. I think that's probably a, a big part of it, and they found a way to do that, and that's mm. you know this this passenger check in uh, questions 
uh, yeah, you know, legal loophole. Legal that's loophole. Probably get out of it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, but that's just me being a pessimist, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's. I um, like kiwi. Are we, they? Are, are, are they? Are they? Are I mean, obviously, we, we, we've uh, two airlines we've mentioned here now that that are unhappy with what's going on here. Is it? Is it? Is, you know, is it just sour grapes uh, on the part of the two airlines, or do they have a point? Well, I mean, if you're an airline, <laughs> you know, I, I've flown on American with uh, booking through Kiwi. If it's more advantageous to me, that's great that, yeah. you know, that, um, I mean, as the consumer, I don't, I don't care what they sort out. I just want the lowest <laughs> ticket, right? <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, Nev, I mean, you, you do quite a lot of like business flying and stuff. I mean, do, have you been, I mean, do you always book directly with BA, for example, or have you ever used? Uh, yes, like, I, I, yeah. I do always. Um, our company in the US however they I think they book through uh, their local travel agency that they use uh, for business flying um, so I was booked directly with the airline but I came across a situation many years ago where it was cheaper to buy a return ticket but only used uh, one leg for oh, example see, right, so yeah. going to Tel Aviv as I did back in uh, gosh late 1990s uh, I bought a British Airways return uh, to Tel Aviv from Heathrow only used the outbound leg and then on the way back i actually bought a um el al return and only used one leg of that um entirely uh, properly i i would say um but the airline and particularly the security boys and girls were not happy about that at all and really? they made it quite clear they weren't happy about it but um it was back in the day when airfares were a lot more expensive than they are now okay. so people were trying all sorts of things to circumnavigate uh, high value fares yeah yeah, it's, mind you, you, you that, that that's often the case on the train, isn't it? As well, it's a similar sort of thing where it would be often cheaper to buy a return ticket than it would be to buy like a, two singles or, or to buy a single. Uh, yeah. To be fair, so you know, a lot of people would do that, wouldn't they? That where the return would then be unused because they they came home at a, a time that was more convenient to them. It's yep. uh, Richard Adams is saying. Last time I flew one way to Oz, it was cheaper to book a round the world ticket and not use the return bit. Wow! Gosh, yeah. <laughs> My goodness, that's a that's a frightening number. That that that's really quite scary. Mm. Wow. Okay. Well, no, we're going to stick with you, Nev, for the next yeah. story, and it's good news for people wishing to go to the US. Yeah, this has been coming for some time, actually. This is on the irishtimes.com, and it says that uh, British regulators have cleared Aer Lingus to to begin flying to the United States from Manchester Airport in England. Uh, The news comes as global industry statistics confirm that tough government travel bans sent traffic at the Republic's uh, airport into the steepest decline anywhere in Europe. The uh, The Irish airline plans to fly to the US and Barbados from this autumn using four aircraft originally destined for the Republic of Ireland. Uh, the UK CAA confirmed that it had granted an operating licence to Aer Lingus UK Limited, the Irish carrier's British subsidiary. This allows the company to undertake transatlantic scheduled passenger services between the UK and the US, said the authority. Aer Lingus is due to begin flying to New York, JFK and Orlando, Florida from September the 30th and the carrier had originally hoped to launch the services at the end of last month but said in June 
that it would delay this until September due to ongoing travel restrictions. Uh, Aer Lingus planned to launch the Barbados service on October the 20th and the airline hopes to exploit opportunities left by Thomas Cook's failure in 2019. Uh, the US continues to ban discretionary travel from the EU and the UK, although observers say that the federal government could lift this in September. And I think that's probably what they're banking on. Uh, but uh, I guess Aer Lingus be using their uh, A330s uh, across the pond to, to do that. Um, and interesting that they've set up a, a different company so that they can operate under a uh, UK licence as well. Um, so uh, let's see how they get on. But um, yeah, that's... Um, the, the, the traffic from the Republic of Ireland to the US has been really badly affected. I mean, there weren't that many flights uh, by American or by Aer Lingus, but, uh, yeah, the reduction has been incredible. So let's hope that they can make uh, make this service work from the UK. Yeah, let's hope so. Um, going to be, yeah, it's just sort of... I, I, I think it is. Sorry, we've got a problem with my camera, which is why we haven't switched back. So I'm going to I, try I to do I want to go it. to the US. Yeah. No, you I, want to go yeah, to the I US want as to, well I mean, this year. But so. I, I, we need them to reopen the the corridor, don't we? Don't yeah. we? I mean, I think I think that's the big stumbling block here, isn't it? Is is the actual corridor? Is it not? Yeah, I, I think um, somebody's going to take a sensible pill soon um, because right. that that travel does need to happen i was talking to one of my swedish colleagues today he'd said he'd just done a a stockholm to i think it was chicago uh, route just last week uh, everything was okay with that but of course that's in uh, the european union and not in the uk right so, uh, yeah but um so there's more restrictions at the moment but i think we are going to get to the point where that will be lifted but um trying to plan of course that's the biggest problem that is the biggest problem at the moment, isn't it? It's just, yeah, it's just, I'm just so nerve-wracking, isn't it? The whole thing is just, we're not ready to travel yet, are we? So we're going to uh, stay with the uh, Armando next for this next story. And I'll, we know Armando loves a soft drink. So, Armando, you've got uh, a lovely story about right. fizzy drinks next. Fizzy drinks, right. American Airlines and their fizzy drinks. Actually, they're deciding to not serve alcohol in the main cabin of its flights until January 18, 2022. That's a long time from now for no alcohol. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, just, for, just for Nev, a lot of... <laughs> yeah, you know, luckily I fly first class all the time everywhere I go. No, I don't. Um, so that that date, January 18, 2022, that's when the U.S. mask mandate on public transportation expires. Uh, that was just extended on Tuesday by the TSA. So American has now suspended alcohol service in the main cabin and main cabin of its flights earlier this summer, but it planned to resume that service on September 13th when the original mask mandate was supposed to expire. Uh, so American Airlines also says that it's gaining ground and helping curb uh, to go alcohol sales at airports. And I think we've talked about this quite a bit on the show, but um, that the FAA is apparently cracking down on unruly uh, airline passengers, as, as we've seen on the show and, and in the news. But on Thursday, the Federal Aviation Administration proposed more than one million dollars in new fines against unruly airline passengers as they refuse to uh, refuse to wear masks. Uh, we've done stories on them assaulting flight attendants and even throwing luggage across the cabin that, you know, obviously could hurt other people. Uh, on Tuesday, the FAA said that based on 3,900 reports of incidents, it has opened 682 investigations into possible violations of federal laws. Uh, now, those on the front lines, which are the nation's flight attendants, are bearing the brunt of this violence. 
They're increasingly turning to self-defense training to learn how to defuse situations as well as protect themselves and uh, their fellow passengers. Uh, just recently, I saw an article or a news article on a crew member training course taught by federal air marshals. Now, that's available to cabin crew. While this type of training is free, the flight attendants have to come on their own time, pay for their own travel and lodging. So the, the head of the country's largest flight attendant union is now pushing for this course to be federally mandated. Now, United Airlines last week reminded employees uh, – to not restrain unruly passengers with tape. Uh, that move comes after several airlines recently made he- headlines after videos. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, remember the, I, re- I remember these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I believe it was in Charlotte too. But anyways, um, oh. they those videos were shared online after their flight crews were doing exactly that. So oh, John Slater, the senior vice president of in-flight services at United Airlines, said – Please remember that there are designated items on board that may be used in difficult situations and at alternative measures such as tape should never be used. Now, the, the, the spokesperson said that they encourage employees to de-escalate difficult situations calmly, including uh, discussing the situation with the captain, customer service representatives, and ground security coordinators. This memo... Facing a little bit of backlash, however, the major flight attendants union, um, Sarah Nelson, who's the president of the Association of Flight Attendants, said that this notice is a sick marketing stunt by the airline that removed duct tape from the cabin in 2014. So there we go. Uh, What do you guys think about this? We could talk about self-defense, alcohol. Duct tape. <laughs> where, where do you want to? Where do you want to take this? I'm a big fan of duct tape, actually. Uh, I'm a big fan so, of alcohol, but I'm also a big fan of alcohol <laughs> on the aircraft in moderation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, ain't that the truth? Well, if you're a general aviation pilot, you also are a big fan of duct tape because that's how you put everything back together. Absolutely. I thought that's speed tape. Yeah, uh, boot <laughs> speed tape, duct tape. Yep. Uh, Painters tape. <laughs> Yeah, a rack on is saying booze not in the main cabin, only in the bar. Man, we need the A380 back. Ain't that the truth? Yeah, because the Emirates A380s have got yeah. the bar, aren't they, upstairs? They have, yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Thanks, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love main man Micah in the in the chat room says, do you know how many ducks they have to kill to make just one roll of that tape? <laughs> Good, yeah, not uh, yet. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, enough. So I, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll start off with the uh, the alcohol I think we've talked about it quite a bit. You know, it's it's not always on the airplane that's the problem. It's the vendors in the airports. And, um, you know, I, that's pretty hard to control unless I suppose you start putting a two-drink limit or something like that. But then you don't know what what people are showing up to the airport with. So now do you have to have your your security teams, your TSA screeners, your private screeners start doing what breathalyzers to to go through security and then uh, you know this it's a it's a, a tough call to implement I, th- I think the other thing which people absolutely forget and is is obvious to anyone that knows about this kind of thing i guess but uh when you're up at uh flight level 390 or wherever you are and the cabin altitude is at you know 7000 feet 8000 feet something like that the the way that alcohol works on your body is very different to that when it's on the ground mm. and you know a glass of wine on the ground equals what 
two and a half glasses probably at altitude um, and uh, so things can get out of hand very quickly especially if they've already done a, a preload in the bar uh, you know at the um, um, uh, the lounge or, or wherever they are mm-hmm. so by the time they get on the aircraft they're already you know three sheets to the wind um, and it wouldn't take much just to send them over the edge so but how you control and police all of that um, I'm glad I've not got to deal with that because that is almost an impossible job, I would have thought. But it's the yeah, same. That, it, I can say it's the same story again, though, isn't it? It's the minority spoiling it for the majority yet again. You know, this this is essentially. I mean, you think how many hundreds of thousands, hundreds of millions at one point passengers were flying, you know, and, and going through the air and all that kind of thing. Like, and and you know, it, it's. If you look at the percentages of the people that are being Muppets, you know, what what, mm. what what are the actual numbers? I mean, if you look at it at percentages, it's probably, you know, very different. Can you imagine if we ever went back to the days, Matt, when you go to the airport and buy duty-free drink at ridiculously cheap price to what you get on the high street? I mean, that's quite Well, we can. Yeah. Um, in the UK, when we go to some European countries mm. now... Um, so I'm going to try that in Dublin in a couple Ooh, of weeks time. Yes. See how I get on. <laughs> See what we can bring back. Dublin, Dublin's the way forward. Clearly, it yeah, is absolutely. Well, yeah. You know, I, I couldn't agree with with Nev more. It you, you take somebody that's been drinking, and then <laughs> it, the, the, there's a there's a whole multifaceted aspect to this, right? Psychologically, where now you've taken that person and you've put them in such a small seat in a confined space where they're perhaps, you know, subconsciously feeling uh, more, you know, trapped and, and more likely to lash out. So you have all these effects. You have the increased effects of alcohol at, at altitude. You have the confined space. Now, we've we've done so many stories about every everything's so volatile now. People are so adamant about their viewpoints on anything and everything. And then and then these these poor cabin crews are just stuck in the middle of it. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. John's probably going to get mad. So what about the self-defense part of it? What is this? Is this where we need to go is to teach our our, our cabin crews more self-defense techniques? And I mean, we did have one flight attendant that had a couple teeth teeth busted out. But mm. uh, what do yeah, you guys think l- about that? Yeah, l- larger reels of duct tape, maybe, perhaps. Um, the, the other thing is, of course, I mean, alcohol, of course, is very well known for removing inhibitions and it doesn't take much especially altitude uh in the cabin for people to feel very free and easy about what they think about things uh, and and how they react and again uh i mean the cabin crew are trained to win within an inch of their life with all these situations but at the end of the day it's very difficult to uh to police this and this is before they get on the aircraft very often as well isn't it shuttle pod one says it right he just says for some reason i've never enjoyed alcohol on flights i'd rather stick to orange juice <sighs> i mean yeah. see I, I mean i'm not a massive as i say michael is also saying part of it comes not a from fan of orange juice. Uh, let me finish uh <laughs> part of it comes from a lack of communication and individuals uh, i don't know how to express the, i don't know how to express themselves in person uh to the, the public just because you're 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 being you're so used to doing it online i guess there there is an element of that um mm-hmm. uh, I just, I, I do quite like a, like a gin and tonic when I'm mm. in the air, though. To be honest with you, and I, I, I guess my, I, I'm looking at it this like, is that why am I having to be, you know, I'm aware of the impact it has on me 
uh, when I'm I'm in the air, etc. Why am I being penalised because other people are idiots? That's the frustration. How about this for a, a prospect? <clears throat> Drinking and driving is considered antisocial, yeah, dangerous yeah, and yeah. illegal. Yeah. But 30 years ago in the UK, it was seen as the norm and people did it and a lot of people got away with it. I wonder whether we'll get to a stage in our lifetime where alcohol is banned completely on aircraft because the cabin c- crew uh, aren't, aren't able to control uh, the miscreants that uh, spoil it for, you know, um, the, the the tiny amount of people that actually spoil it for the majority. So, um, yeah, mm. interesting. But it, it, again, it's it, you see the frustration. It, it comes as a couple of people have been saying in the chat room. It comes back to that respect thing, though, doesn't it? I mean, uh, that's that's what needs to be dealt with here is the respect for. Um, you know the cabin crew others. and yeah for the respect yeah. for others but especially to cabin crews like you know you by all means hate the person that you're sat next to but when when the cabin crew come over and say all right come on enough is enough now at that point you need to go back into respect mode and you know and that's the what the thing that needs dealing with here is actually respect for your your cabin crew and as somebody else uh, as tony was saying that you know surely there's a safety aspect too uh, what if you need to evacuate the plane i mean drunk passengers uh, are clearly going to be a liability in that scenario aren't they you know or do you, or do you think the adrenaline will kick in in and and it not be a problem i don't know that's a tricky one actually do you know what i think i think this is never going to go away this is going to be an issue that we're going to have and we're going to we're going to keep talking about it for quite some time in the future. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's going to be here for a while. Yeah. Anyway, we better move on, I suppose. Yeah. yeah so, next story. Moving on. This t- this comes to us from the passenger terminal today dot com, and this a uh, good story for those of you who uh, love your onions or um, your curries. Uh, this is Teesside Airport to trial hydrogen vehicles. Uh, so Teesside Airport is to be one of the first places in the UK to test hydrogen vehicles as part of the Tees Valley status as the country's hydrogen transport hub. The £2.5 million pound, or $3.4 million project will see 100% hydrogen zero-emission engines fitted to commercial and support vehicles at the airport and other key Tees Valley organisations. The ground support tug, which tows aircraft, will be converted to run on hydrogen by the supplier Ulemco, while Toyota will supply two Mirai hydrogen fuel cell vehicles with a range of around 400 miles. Why are we using these rather than electric? 400 (laughs) miles, come on. Um, As well, as well as forklifts as well for use. Trials will aim to show how hydrogen-fueled vehicles can be quick and easy to drive and refuel, cleaning up the air in local areas as the airport aims to meet its zero emission ambitions. Uh, as well as oh, as was announced in September last year that Teesside Airport would be home to the UK's first hydrogen transport hub. The facility, in partnership with Teesside University, will form an innovation campus focused on clean energy research and development and will lead research
research, development and testing of new hydrogen transportation technologies, including cars, buses, trains, lorries, boats and planes. Tees Valley's Mayor, uh, Mayor Ben Hoochin said this is yet another huge boost for Teesside, putting our region at the forefront of the hydrogen revolution and developing fuels of the future. He says, I want Teesside Airport to be the first hydrogen-ready airport in the UK, and this is the first important step. Well, it's a damn good idea, I think. I mean, 400 yep. miles as a, as a range for these um, I vehicles. think, personally, um, especially the heavier types of vehicles, I think hydrogen is definitely the way forward. And it was very interesting to listen to a clip that I saw the other day at Lord Bamford at JCB was talking about how they're developing hydrogen engines uh, for some of their backhoe loaders and other tractors and, and heavy stuff that they operate. Um, I think this is a a really interesting technology and i think we're going to see a lot more of it especially in the what i would call the the, the heavy goods or the all the industrial uh, type product uh, projects and, and products weren't they trying coaches using gas or hydrogen Matt? well the, there are there are gas powered buses out there yeah there are gas-powered buses out there that that do the um i'm just going to politely remind you to switch cameras sorry yes uh <laughs> because <laughs> nev is just smiling at us very sweetly uh, <laughs> but uh, i mean the, the, there are but I, so i mean anglian buses as was um now owned by connect group they they ran a, a pilot scheme um where and they 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 were one of the first companies to have gas powered buses mm. but the problem was that that we had again maybe that's because of you know as nev often quite refers to we are essentially you know the arse end of nowhere and uh, and of course there wasn't the infrastructure there to support the gas buses so they used to have to literally tanker in um gas you know uh con- you know gas containers mm. um to top up the buses like two or three times a week to to keep them on the road because there wasn't the infrastructure there to to get them get them out on the road so it's you know mm. it's I, I guess that's going to be less of an issue obviously because they will put the the um you know the infrastructure in i suppose at the airports that it, that is at least something if if people are going to start using this but uh, actually it's not just emissions it's also noise as well i would noise. imagine that okay. a hydrogen powered vehicle would be quieter than a true normal true yeah diesel yeah, engine. yeah I, sounds more like a petrol engine actually rather yeah. than a diesel i'm told but they're quite they they are much quieter aren't they than a, than a diesel engine uh, traditionally anyway yeah hmm. it's uh, yeah it's a, it's a funny old one isn't it really so Nev, you've got uh, the next story, and it's uh, it's sad news for uh, for BA. It is, yeah. I'm um, getting a bit sad reading out all these stories where BA's retired yet another well-known aircraft, and they've done it again. And on simpleflying.com, it says that BA has retired the Airbus A319 that flew the Olympic flame to the UK when London hosted the Olympic Games in 2012. Mm. Uh, The 21-year-old aircraft wore a special livery at the time and was known as the Firefly. Uh, once every four years, an aircraft is enlisted to carry the Olympic flame from Athens to the host nation ahead of the torch relay. Usually, this aircraft will receive a special livery, and last year, this was a Japan Airlines Boeing 787. Uh, before this, a LATAM Brazil Boeing 767 had the honours, and in 2012, BA went for a slightly smaller aircraft, given the somewhat shorter flight. So on Saturday, uh, Golf Echo Uniform Papa Charlie left London Heathrow Airport 
bought for the last time, bound for St Athen near Cardiff. I've actually been on this aircraft a few times myself, actually, and the last one was to uh, Jersey quite a quite a while ago now. Uh, according to data from Flight Radar 24, uh, the aircraft left the British Airways maintenance base at Heathrow at 11.30, taxiing over to Terminal 5 for one last time, where it arrived at roughly noon, bound for St Athen, and the aircraft climbed to a height of 21,000 feet, where it remained for a minute or two before almost instantly beginning its descent. After flying over the Bristol Channel and past Cardiff, the plane landed for one final time. The aircraft first flew on November the 2nd, 1999, and is clocked up an impressive 47,029 flight hours, equating to some 5.4 years of flying. Uh, these hours were completed across 37,332 flight cycles, giving an average flight length of one and a quarter hours. On average, the aircraft was flown for roughly six hours a day. So it was well utilised, that's for sure. Uh, but what a shame to, to see it uh, finally meet its maker in mm. St Athen uh, for parting out and scrap. Do you think, Nev, this will um, end up being taken by the old plane tag guys and turned into um, <laughs> key rings? I think there is a possibility of that, yes. Mm. Uh, we'll have to see, see what they come up with. But... Um, it's a shame. I mean, they, well, you know, I think the oh, trouble is that these they, A319s anyway, they, they are a little bit uh, juicy uh, on on gas. Mm. And uh, I think the the new uh, A320neos that uh, Bay are operating, and they're bringing more of those in as well. I think they're, you know, they're just trying to be a bit more modern with the fleet at the moment. But it's a real shame that this, uh, this aircraft's been... Uh, it's a beautiful-looking aircraft. I'll tell, I'll tell John's, you what. If John, John's been pop- popping the pictures up while we're chatting there, and I, mean, if, I love if they that do, colour scheme. If they do cut this up and, and, and sell the little bits and pieces of it, it's, it's going to be one to get, because mm. it's got that... I think it is. Um, yes. It's got that back, yeah, that story, that background story, yeah. isn't it, as being yeah, an I aircraft. Agree. I agree. So, Matt, you've got some good news for people living in and around Luton Airport. Wow! Apart from they're, apart from Luton Airport, of course. Right. I mean, they're, they're, there's something I never expected uh, <laughs> words to come out of someone's <laughs> mouth. Uh, so, <laughs> so it's uh, uh, I think it's einnews.com, uh, and this is uh, the headline is uh, Avion Flight Training Centre opened at London Luton Airport. There we go. Uh, Avion Group has opened a new flight training centre in Luton to support the start of a new long-term cooperation agreement with Wizz Air and uh, IGO. Is it IGO? IA. Iago, Iago, I don't know. Anyway, uh, this is this is where I wish we had John in our ears because he'd be correcting me as we go. Uh, Flight training. Uh, The agreement will see the largest Central European A320 low-cost airline utilise the Avion A320 Level D full flight simulator based at London Luton Airport, creating a strong foundation for future collaboration. Um, It's a I. I go, I go. Apparently, sorry. We'll just uh, make it sound like a like a Disney villain and go Yago. Yago, I like <laughs> it. Yeah, let's go with that. Yeah, <laughs> London Luton Airport is the home base of Wizz Air and continues to see steady growth. We are opening the Avion Flight Training Centre in Luton to meet the needs of Wizz Air and other A320 customers, says uh, Avion CEO Eric um, uh, uh, Varwick. 
the new uh, Luton Centre will uh, add additional flexibility and capability for Wizz Air training in the London area, explains uh, CEO, CEO of Iago, uh, James Kington Leach. Uh, the full motion simulator has been thoroughly tested and positively evaluated by Wizz Air's training management. Um, Ad- Ad- Adrias Seabock, uh, who is the Wizz Air Chief Central Operations Officer, says it's an excellent opportunity for the future. London Luton Airport is, for us, a perfect location to perform crew training, not only for our UK crews, but also for other crews based elsewhere in Europe. The combined strengths of the uh, uh, Iago and uh, Avion group make it a win-win situation. The simulator has been qualified by both CAA UK and EASA, uh, depending, uh, designed to ensure uh, effective and industry-leading UPRT capabilities. The uh, Av- uh, Avion has developed an innovative, best-in-class full flight simulator. Do you know the one thing? And I'm, you know, I'm not a fan of flying, as we know. But the one thing I've always wanted to have a go of is a full simulator or oh, the motion the, the full one motion up and down simulator level d yeah, yeah the level yeah, d yeah. i mean i've been lucky enough to have a go on sort of some and they are incredibly realistic the you know the static ones and um, nev obviously you've spent an awful lot of time in the the te- i mean the technology has moved on so much isn't it they are so realistic the realism actually even on a fixed base sim it is mm. really very good but uh, nothing can beat being in a real simulator on hydraulic rams and the yeah. thing actually moving around so uh, yeah, yeah absolutely that would be nice to do wouldn't it yeah oh, here here in the u.s most of the simulators are leased out so um, they're very expensive and this the level d full motion simulators so when you have a company like american airlines united airlines that has access and one of the biggest uh, uh, private providers or I guess non-airline providers is flight safety here in the US. All, all those companies will lease out their simulator time to uh, other operators that don't have the resources to you know to buy a 20 million dollar full motion simulator and, and it really helps with training um, especially you know like like Nev saying that it's the the movement that 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 feeling in the pit of your stomach when when the aircraft is doing something an upset recovery training um the the most common thing that we practice for obviously is, is stall and stall awareness but there's a there's a lot of other things that could result in upset and and an unusual attitude that you could have uh wake turbulence you know we had a, a challenger i think it was a challenger or crj that crossed the wake of a larger A380, 340, yeah. something like that. You know, that that airplane was pretty, I think it was written off, but the crew managed to get it on the ground. You have, you know, you could have loss of engine power, loss, you, you could have a, a, a bird strike that results in loss of control or an upset uh, recovery procedure. Um, obviously, you, you know, you could have crew incapacitation, things like that, or, or, or like, the Atlas crash in, in Houston that was, you know, two crew members fighting each other um, as to what the airplane was supposed to be doing. So th- those are all things that you can train to safely in a full motion simulator. And it's it's good that they're releasing this stuff out to, uh, to some of the smaller operators. So, Armando, we're going to stick with you for uh, for the next story on the list. And uh, it's good news for a certain airline over in the U.S., Yep, Delta Airlines. Delta Airlines has a cargo division, and Delta Cargo this month is celebrating its 75th anniversary. 
This uh, airline's cargo division was launched in August of 1946 when a aww, DC-3 uh, f- uh, flight carrying 200 pounds of mushrooms flew to Atlanta. Uh, the uh, in the first week of operation 1946, the airline carried a little bit of everything to its customers across the U.S. Uh, a 64-year-old $1,500 soup terrine. Thank you, John, earlier for enlightening me on what a terrine is. Uh, 1,100 pounds of auto parts, filling six crates, 450 pounds of candy, and a box of silver coins, according to Delta Airlines. That's That was in its first week of operation. That carrier then launched international cargo services in 1953 with flights to the Caribbean and Venezuela. Other highlights over the last 75 years include the first dog to fly on a commercial jet from Houston to New York City, 1959. In 1966, a Delta cargo plane carried NASA's Surveyor 3 spacecraft from L.A. to Florida, the first time that a spacecraft was carried by a regular commercial aircraft. And in 1986, the first U.S. manufactured cars were shipped to Germany via U.S. air carrier when two Corvettes were shipped on an L-1011 from Dallas to Frankfurt. Uh, uh, Robert Walpole, the vice president of Delta Cargo, said the airline has grown and the nature of our cargo business has changed significantly over the last 75 years, but we are still in the business of providing best-in-class service to our customers with any of their freight and logistics needs, large or small. We are here to support our customers and communities in the U.S. and across the globe. We look forward to another remarkable 75 years. And uh, fun fact, the airline today handles 2.2 billion tons of cargo uh, every year. I think it's one of those ones people don't really think of Delta being just purely a passenger airline, not cargo as well. I mean, obviously we know all about the big cargo carriers in the world, but... um, I think you don't necessarily tend to associate big carriers such as Delta. I think um, who's one of the other big American carriers as well uh, does cargo as well on the side, Armando. Yeah, I, th- I think quite a few of them do, actually. Uh, United does. United has a whole cargo um, mm. section. And then, you know, technically FedEx and UPS are airlines also. But, you know, we were talking about Asiana, uh, Asiana Cargo, uh, China Air Cargo. There, there's a lot of... of uh, passenger carriers that have a cargo division hmm. interesting well some good great pictures with that story as well so um good find oh. that one yes and thanks to john for popping those up while we were while we we're doing that it's yeah it's uh it's like great pictures there is something about th- that era isn't there there is that that something about that era of of aviation and things isn't it and those pictures i, oh. I can't i can't get enough of them I get I get to live it because I fly yeah, DC three. Yeah, right? yeah, so like every time, yeah. just uh, I think just, you get it in color. <laughs> yeah, and it, it is a beautiful DC three that I yeah, fly. But yeah. just just yesterday, I was watching you know some documentary on 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 Netflix, and they were showing a DC three, and uh, they showed the. Oh no! Actually, it was a news because there was there was a World War Two paratrooper that was getting to fly, and they showed the handles on the door. Uh, on a C-47 because the DC-3 didn't have the same type of door, so it has two handles. And it's funny because, you know, I as I get into the airplane, I'm usually the last one to shut the door and pull, pull the little aluminum stairs in. And, and it always makes me think, man, you know, the the places this airplane has been and 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 the people that have flown it all over the world. And ours, 
are the one that I fly is uh, was up in Canada for a long time. It was it was a Canadian a passenger and cargo airplane um, for most of its life life after the military. So very cool to to think about you know the the golden age of aviation as we call it. Yeah, it is. You know when when a lounge suit was the norm for a for a flight you know yeah oh, is the, still, sorry I, I thought it was yeah well no yeah, I still has yeah, absolutely quite right yeah <laughs> absolutely my yeah. smoking jacket of course absolutely <laughs> it's the default position absolutely yeah and <laughs> Nev you've got the next story um, all about a certain aircraft that uh did, yes. Didn't really want to uh, take off uh, on a runway for some reason. Bit, bit naughty, but uh, let's see what happened here. This was on the uh, avherald.com and on simpleflying.com. And it says that a Turkish Airlines Airbus A33300 flying from Newark, New Jersey to Istanbul, Turkey, rejected takeoff after the plane's crew members were advised that they were on Newark's taxiway Papa. Uh, this incident occur- occurred on flight TK30, which departed just after midnight on Saturday, August the 7th, a couple of weeks ago. TK30 was cleared for takeoff from runway 22 right at intersection with taxiway Whiskey, but crossed runway 22 right, lined up on taxiway Papa, which is parallel to and east of runway 22 right, and commenced takeoff. The tower cancelled the takeoff clearance, advising the crew that they were on taxiway papa the crew rejected takeoff uh, at around about 90 knots over the ground slowing to a taxi speed about 1400 meters or 4600 feet down the taxiway they turned right onto taxiway echo crossed runway 22 right and joined taxiway bravo uh, the aircraft subsequently was instructed to taxi to the holding point at runway 11 via taxiway whiskey parallel to runway 29 where the aircraft held for about 45 minutes to let the brakes cool down uh, the aircraft was subsequently instructed to enter runway 11 at threshold taxi along runway 11 to the intersection with runway 22 right and line up on runway 22 right the aircraft finally departed from runway 22 right one hour after the rejected takeoff from taxiway papa the aircraft landed safely in is uh, safely in istanbul with about 100 minutes delay uh, after about a nine and a quarter hour flight uh, after takeoff from runway 22 right. A passenger reported they were accelerating on a taxiway between runway 22 right and 22 left just after midnight when the crew rejected takeoff. The captain subsequently announced that they had rejected the takeoff for a mechanical problem. <laughs> oh! Uh, the aircraft subsequently taxied northbound and emergency services attended. I think the mechanical problem might have been the crew requiring a change of underwear <laughs> when they heard <laughs> ATC yeah. saying, I have a number for you to call, possible pilot deviation or something <laughs> like that. Oh, my um, goodness me. But, now, uh, now I, yeah. be- I believe um, uh, the <laughs> we do have... Uh, oh, hang on. It's, everything's all being moved around. Stop moving. Oh, right. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> we've got a, a, a bit of uh, audio here that I'm just going to try and play so just bear with the bear with me a moment i've got a little bit of audio so uh, uh we've got a bit of uh, atc here so here we go delta heavy traffic on a one three mile final wind two three zero and one zero runway two two right at whiskey clear take off uh turkey three zero delta just uh cancel takeoff clearance uh, looks like you're on taxiway papa sir Stop on the 
Turkey is 30 Delta Heavy. Uh, you can uh, taxi at Papa and then turn right on Echo. Hold short of runway 22 right. I mean, <laughs> oops. <laughs> so is it, is it possible to share my screen? Will that, will, yeah, no, we could do that. Yeah, we could do that. I'll, I'll show you a little bit of uh, of what's happening here. Yeah, go on. The, uh, so if, if you guys can see that. Wow. Is it is it sharing? We can yeah, see, yeah, 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 we can see. So you you can see. Well, first of all, this happened at night. I don't know how it's possible. There's blue lights instead of white lights. Uh, it should have been incredibly obvious to them, but maybe their landing lights are so bright that they were just showing just a pavement. But you can see here. So on the airport diagram that you were popping up, Matt, the yeah. the this area to the east. Uh, sorry, this would actually be the. Can, uh, can you the, describe this? Obviously, for those who are listening as an audio podcast. Yeah. So, so the way Newark is set up, there's a there's a crossing runway which is about seven uh, sixty seven hundred feet, and then there's the two main runways two two left, two two right, both uh, kind of southwest looking runways. Mm. In the middle of that, think of think think of uh, two lanes of a highway. So one going one direction, one, and then there's a median uh, with with a a piece of pavement that is the exact same colors as the two runways that that straddle it that are on each side so even just looking at the the daytime image of this it it could be a little bit confusing um now for a big airplane that sits up that high i'd be i'd be curious as to how they didn't notice the the markings but uh, but additionally with the displaced thresholds um which means that that the the sort of really obvious runway markings that that are those threshold markings aren't aren't exactly visible because you're you're just looking at arrows painted on the ground. That's great for takeoff, but you you can't land there. So it's it's totally valid for takeoff. So I I could see how the changes in the pavement and the concrete, the the standard markings, but they aren't runway markings. Um, I could see during the daytime how this could be confusing at night. I think it would be a little bit harder because you you're, those lights should be pretty bright. But they got about halfway down this this call it center median before before they got the airplane oh, wow. to a stop. That could have been disastrous if there and had was, been another uh, airplane. It, it was almost into the high speed uh, um, period of the takeoff roll, wasn't it? I think uh, there were hundred knots. knots. Was it? So it, it, knots, it, yeah. it's getting towards that that high speed range. And I think the other thing is that surprising is that the majority of Airbus uh, Airbus aircraft are equipped with runway runway audible identifiers as well, so that when you are approaching a runway a runway, it will tell you that you're on or approaching runway two two right for example now um i I think that um it's sort of standard procedure in in most airlines for for both pilots to confirm that they're on the correct runway it is is absolutely (laughs) in every checklist right yeah every checklist you're you're supposed to confirm that you're on the runway and that you see it on the pavement and yeah and i'm looking at the runway markings here on google earth and there is nothing Nothing on the pavement that says two two right. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, I mean, <laughs> I mean, this just, could have been absolutely it, disastrous it had there been another been. aircraft. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, mean, I guess the only saving grace is it was so quiet. I mean, you know, obviously, like you know, not many operations. Clearly, as you say, it could have been an absolute disaster. I'd imagine they had a. They both had a meeting with the chief pilot 
that that evening. I would, I would, I chat. would hope so. I hope, I would hope there was some stern discussion. words had. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So well, there we go. Moving on to the last story then in the commercial segment this week, and we've saved the best till last. Right. I think with this story, this one comes to us from AutoEvolution.com. Heads up, guys, this is one you've been waiting for. So, Power Up 4.0, the motorized paper aeroplane kit, right. the ultimate childhood throwback. So, these days, paper aeroplanes are still a childhood favourite. I must admit, I do like paper aeroplanes. But it would seem that they are now being upgraded. <laughs> it's called the Power Up 4.0 from the mind of a creator named Shire Gotine and is simply a device that you can attach to a number of paper aeroplane designs with the sole purpose of turning your classic makeshift paper aeroplane into a RC-controlled motorised beast if you feel like bringing back a bit of your childhood then take the whole experience a bit further this kit is 70 dollars uh, you can buy this for that's about 55 quid here on amazon uh, when you purchase the kit you'll receive everything you need to strap the dual motor to your airplane but you'll also receive a usb charger spare propellers and four templates for the invader model airplane that you're seeing <laughs> in the images on the screen the most important feature on this whole gimmick is the motor this dual motor setup includes a bluetooth module that keeps a connection with your phone and you can fly up to a range of check this out 230 feet or 70 meters and guess what your paper airplane will be blasting around at a speed of 20 miles per hour or 32 what? kilometers per hour uh, one feature of this trinket is that of being uh, considered smart which means it is uh, is that the motors on board computers includes a autopilot feature what the exact flight pattern may be isn't specified, but the addition of a gyro accelerometer will help reduce choppiness and prevent nosedives. If anything like a nosedive or any other sort of accident does happen, you shouldn't worry too much, as the 4.0's construction is made of carbon fibre. Wow. And also includes a nylon reinforced nose, and the motor mount itself is designed to withstand impacts and still keep going. That doesn't mean to fly into your little brother's head, however. Oh, yes. To fly your plane, you'll need to use a designated app. While some app experiences may seem useless, for the 4.0, the app allows you to do barrel rolls, loops, and hammerheads flight patterns. Oh, and the app also stores data from previous flights and sends you detailed recommendations on how to fly based on past experiences currently the 4.0 battery only offers a maximum flight time of around 10 minutes while that may seem like a downside once drained the battery will be up and running in around 30 minutes so there we go guys nev would you want one of these yeah that's a, that's on the christmas list absolutely <laughs> absolutely <laughs> See, I, 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 perhaps I'm in the minority here, but I have a really, really cool drone that I have not flown anywhere near as much as I should have done. I've, I've even re renewed my licence so that I'm legal to fly it, and I still, you know, it's uh, Mars High is saying it'd be really cool with a camera on. I don't know. I think I don't think it'll take the weight. That's the uh, the slight uh, issue. Dirk S has got a really, really valid point in yeah. the chat room. Okay, how does this thing operate the elevator and aileron? Can I guess? Go on. 
Armando? I think I think it turns with differential thrust because technically it's a multi. You can log multi engine time on this, <laughs> so it probably uses differential <laughs> thrust with the engines to make it turn left and right, and uh, up and down is just sheer lift. So the faster the motors go, the the faster it goes through the air. The more lift it creates, and when you point it down, then it probably reduces the engine speed, the both engine <laughs> speed, and it loses lift and points down at the ground. I, I think this is the ultimate toy for this Christmas. Yeah, D- Dirk S has got the perfect... He said, let's start a batch order for the PTUK crowd. I think he's Ooh, absolutely climbing. right. Yeah, let's, yeah. Let, let's look into that. That's it. Well, no, because we you know, if we order it in bulk, we might be able to get it cheaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we brand them. Raw. Yeah, that's PTUK, what normally happens, isn't it? Yeah. PTUK <gasps> paper. So, Carlos, when you get your uh, eventually get your PPL, um, (laughs) are you also going to put on your license a power up 4.0 and see if the CAA (laughs) tick that off for you as well? I I think that should be uh, a definite requirement on there (laughs) for that, actually. So uh, Matt will put um, the links uh, or John will put the links in the show notes for this if you want to check this out. Um, but we did uh, last night. We did find it, as we said, on the US Amazon uh, page and on the UK Amazon page as well uh, to purchase. But um, yeah, definitely one to bung in the old stocking at Christmas time. Right. Okay. If mm. you say so. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> so that brings <laughs> that brings the uh, the commercial news to a close. Uh, next, uh, Nev, uh, what have we got? To, uh, to treat our viewers to next and listeners. Well, as you may have heard last week, if you're listening to the show, I'm off down to Bristol uh, this coming week to interview uh, Johnny Palmer at Pitch Air. He's the madman that's gone and got a 727 fuselage and put it in the car park of his events company. It's an absolutely fascinating project um, and he's going to spend some time with me this coming week uh, doing a full interview. But I thought I'd give you a little bit of a taste of the kind of stuff that they've done and uh, i was very lucky to go down there a couple of weeks ago and sit on the cockpit of the 727 hi everyone nev here in the cockpit of a 727 which has not happened before i've got to say this one is based down just outside of bristol at pitch air and uh, i'm going to be talking with uh, johnny palmer all about this in a future episode. Nice to see some steam gauges back on the cockpit. We don't see many of those uh, these days, but uh, let's go and have a look around. Oh, there's a warning light on there. I'm Johnny Palmer. I'm the founder of Pitch, and I'm the guy that's behind the Pitch Air project. Basically, us getting this aeroplane to Bristol so we can use it as an office. As a kid, I always thought, yeah, I want to have one of those private jets. That'd be cool. I'd love that. And I think that when you get this idea in your head, those things often happen, but not as I thought. I got interested in sustainability and reducing carbon and stuff and realized that flying around in private aircraft is just absurd. But I still love airplanes. So I ended up buying, buying this thing, which doesn't fly, but is the ultimate in terms of private jets. So the stage we're at with this project is we've gone through getting planning commission, um, done the deal on the aircraft, bought the aircraft, I've got the transport organised, closures and police escorts sorted for tomorrow. So now it all just has to come together and that thing be in Bristol by tomorrow lunchtime. Yeah, big day, big day, yeah. And uh, 
anticipation. Nah, not at all. Be fun. And even if it goes wrong, that'll be fun. Yeah. I think he's going to be really excited, even though he had to wake up in like six in the morning. My name's Pete Stone. I'm a Rhodes Policing Officer. This is one of many that we've done running out of Kemble. Obviously, Kemble Airport, they get dismantled aircraft and they sell the fuselages all around the world, so it's quite often we get called upon to come and shut the road for public safety. I've never seen an aircraft transported before, so we just watch them coming into Kemble, but never seen one leaving on the back of a trailer. over on the side of the M5 now because um, the police in Bristol had a different route from the one that we're actually working to so I'm hoping that we can find a resolution to this. As part of the live streamed event we've been doing online during the transport, we've been raising money for the Great Western Air Ambulance and as part of their training operations they managed to get their helicopter up in the air while we were driving pitch air down the motorway. Spire Crane Iron. We're doing a lift, and this is my partner here in Troy. Right now, we're kicking the cranes into place. This is the first one, which I believe is 200 tons. That's going at the bottom of the yard, and the airplane's going to come back into the yard, and the second crane's going to come in so they can get it from either end and raise it up and onto the containers. They've done a really good job of getting it here, and it's going to look amazing because this is going to be an attraction. It's so exciting. The buzz is just amazing. Were you excited to see the blade? Yeah, I was really excited. What did it look like inside? It looked like it looks like a What's this for? For like a parking ticket or no, it's obstruction? Obstruction. Um, don't remove the vehicle. Mm. We'll have to remove it for you. <laughs> so it's been a mental weekend. Lots of stuff has gone wrong. We've resolved it. Hard work by everyone. And finally, we've got it. Super happy about this. Job done. Well, uh, welcome to our London studios. Uh, welcome to the A320 Lounge uh, webinar uh, tech presentation, um, obviously for the 320 series. Welcome to the A320 and 737 Lounge bringing technical refresher courses directly to you. Using our cutting-edge broadcasting facilities, enjoy a fully interactive technical refresher course from the comfort of your own home. All of our webinars are live, and you can ask your instructor a question at any point during the day. All of our instructors are highly experienced and can help you. No more expensive nights away from home, no new software required, just an internet connection. Courses are run at regular intervals, so check out A320Lounge and 737lounge.com for more details. This week has obviously been a tumultuous week in Afghanistan. We've seen images of helicopters evacuating government buildings from Kabul. 
We've seen dramatic images of Afghan nationals flooding the airport looking for a hope to leave their country. And we've seen the terrible images of people holding on to the outside of a C-17. And it's now been verified that human remains were found in the wheel, wheel wells of numerous aircraft um, as those people hope to leave their country. Well, some of our very own podcast family are over there right now executing this mission. So on our behalf, I ask that you please keep them in your thoughts as they put themselves in tremendous harm. Well, this current effort is a multinational effort. In addition to the U.S. Air Force C-17s, C-130s, various helicopters, we've seen German A-400s, British C-17s, A-330s, French A-400s, and dozens of commercial aircraft evacuating people from Afghanistan. So as a former military member, my heartfelt thanks goes to all of those partner nations that have contributed aerial efforts, not just right now, but in the past 20 years. Now, if you'll indulge me for just a few minutes, I'd like to share some personal thoughts about the current situation as it relates to aviation and our listeners. These are my own reflections and thoughts. They are entirely apolitical without a hidden agenda. Um, they are Again, just my own reflections on the contributions of aviation in the Afghan conflict, and uh, especially a nod to those that have been injured or killed in this conflict. And keep in mind that not all those injuries are visible or physical, and, and maybe share a little bit thoughts of where we go from here. So it's, it's hard to imagine that it's been 20 years of conflict in one country. Now, I look back at historical archives and textbooks, and we often see numerous, uh, these numbers and time frames that are hard to put into context in modern, in modern life. Of course, there have been many internal conflicts, insurgencies, and wars that have lasted more than 20 years or longer. Uh, but in modern military history, the number of large multinational conflicts like the one in Afghanistan isn't very big. The... The military aviation mission in Afghanistan has been incredibly diverse. In the initial days of the, the war, the special operations forces and their aircraft entered Afghanistan in the middle of the night, shortly after the attacks of 9-11-2001. That multinational coalition that quickly formed was impressive as countries stood side by side in solidarity and resolve. The first days of the war saw C-130s, Apaches, Chinooks, Blackhawks, Pumas, Lynxes, KC-135s, Tornadoes, and Typhoons cross those borders into Afghanistan. Shortly after the initial push, the hosts of cargo aircraft, fighters, and helicopters that flowed into the country and the region were impressive. The most important mission through the entire 20 years was to protect those troops and the citizens on the ground. Now, helicopters were often the first on the scene, and when a firefight, a firefight starts, those close air support uh, fighters and assets usually followed shortly after. Over the years, we've seen Harriers, Tornadoes, F-16s, A-10s, and many other aircraft take on that role. Now, I have worked in numerous locations where the moment somebody comes across the radio and says that they are in a firefight or in contact with enemy troops, almost everything stops. And it's amazing to see the teamwork that happens from the entire coalition, from all the partner nations to divert aircraft that aren't otherwise uh, engaged and, and redirect them towards those troops that are in need. That happened 
on a daily basis, sometimes multiple times a day. Um, just an incredible, again, multinational effort. Now, always ready to support those aircraft are the tankers orbiting above. I've been on many missions where the combat support air crews or combat air crews were stretching every single pound of jet fuel to support a ground operation. And those tankers and their crews were always right there when you needed them. Um, the, we would we would make decisions on board the aircraft as to what was the maximum amount of loiter time that we could provide to the ground troops. It didn't matter what country they were from, whether Afghanistan, uh, France, England, Germany, Netherlands, or American troops. And and it was always the the first decision is at what's the absolute longest that we can stay on station and support these these folks on the ground. Now. When things went wrong, which unfortunately they often did, uh, combat search and rescue assets were right there to pull out injured soldiers and civilians. There's a great documentary called Inside Combat Rescue that I think everybody should watch to see how these how these helicopter crews do business on a day to a day day to day basis. But those Blackhawks and Pumas and A10s laying down uh, cover fire were absolutely critical to saving countless lives. And, of course, ever-present were the watchful eyes and ears of the intelligence assets. We saw that evolve throughout the course of the war, initially from RC-135s and specialized C-130s to a host of light aircraft, including Pilatuses, King Airs, and even onto modified business aircraft like Gulfstreams and Challengers that we've talked about on the show. Of course, unmanned aircraft played a vital role, a vital role in maintaining and ironclad presence over the enemy, including MQ-1s, MQ-9s, Global Hawks, Shadows, and, and many aircraft that were never even acknowledged publicly. But for every bit of those 20 years, the C-130s, the C-17s, C-5s, A-400s, A-340s, KC-135s were delivering uh, personnel, supplies, cargo, fuel, vehicles, food, and everything under the sun that you can imagine into and out of that country and, and the region. Uh, most recently, we've seen those same aircraft loaded to maximum capacity, evacuating individuals from the country. And it's it's not just military aircraft that have contributed to the war. In the opening months of the war, many civilian airliners transported troops and cargo into the region. In the American Civil Air Reserve Fleet program, we've seen operators such as American, Delta, and United Airlines conduct operations supporting these efforts. Lesser-known operations from FedEx, UPS, Atlas, Southern Air, Kalita, uh, Omni, ABX, among others, were absolutely vital to resupplying the, the troops and the people on the ground. Now, often these carriers had the most solemn mission of repatriating fallen heroes back to their countries and their hometowns. Many flight lines have come to a complete stop as the casket of a service member gets unloaded from an airliner or a cargo plane. And the last 20 years has given us many heartwarming stories of pilots and passengers paying their respects to the families and the comrades of those traveling with a fallen service member. Now, even a few weeks ago, we talked on the show about the U.S. State Department helicopters that were uh, crucially moving dignitaries, ambassadors, and diplomats, technicians around the country. Now those same hel helicopters are shuttling embassy personnel to the airport as every other means of travel shuts down in, in the cities in Afghanistan. So many, many important missions have been con uh, conducted by contract aircraft um, 
those civilian contractors are every bit in the same danger as the military aircraft they fly alongside of. Um, and it's easy to recognize the, the UK and the US aviation efforts in Afghanistan, but many, many countries have contributed to the war. And just as many countries have lost crews in Afghanistan. Now, when I first started jotting down my thoughts for this little segment, I thought it would be easy to just take those, those fallen air crews and those mishaps and those incidents and crashes and just list them and maybe say a little blurb about each one. So I started working backwards chronologically from, I got from about 2021 to 2011 before it was clearly evident that I wouldn't be able to do that in one show. There's just absolutely too many. And it, it, it perhaps shows a little bit of how desensitized we've become to just these, these ongoing, this ongoing conflict. Um, we rarely spoke of the aircraft and the air crew lost by countries like Turkey, Poland, France, Canada, Italy, Netherlands, Spain, Germany, Denmark, Moldova, Uzbekistan, Russia, Kenya, South Africa, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, the United Arab Emirates, Ukraine, Georgia, and Australia. Each one of those countries lost an aircraft and an air crew in Afghanistan. Uh, I personally watched almost helplessly a few times over both British and American helicopter crashes in which we lost fellow aviators and service members. Um, being in the air, providing oversight for those situations is, is a very interesting thing, which I'm sure one day we'll, we'll all talk about. But those individuals and those scenes are very vivid in my mind. And they, those individuals stay with me every single day. Um, all in all, as a coalition, we lost 118 helicopters, 33, 33 fixed-wing aircraft, and 27 contract aircraft in the last 20 years in Afghanistan. In recent years, the Afghan Air Force themselves have lost many aircrew. Uh, in fact, over the past five years, they've lost more aircraft than many other countries. And and it's about remembering, isn't it? It's uh, I, I've always said on this show that one thing that the United kingdom does exceptionally well is to remember. Uh, we here in the U.S. also do very well at remembering, and in each of the countries that our listeners live in, um, I ask you to do the same thing. Just remember, and remember not just the losses, but the contributions of all those service members, the civilians, contractors, non-governmental workers, um, that have made it their mission to make someone's life better, even if it is just a temporary thing. A lot of people will criticize what what was the outcome. Well, the outcome is, is that in the course of 20 years, some people have experienced a new vision of what, what life could be like. Um, is it... Our place is it any external actor's place to try to change uh, culture? Absolutely not. But but you got to take a, a chance, and um, you never know how that's going to pan out in the future. So um, the women and the children and the men of Afghanistan for the last twenty years have perhaps experienced something that they would not have experienced had it not been for for the coalition presence there in Afghanistan.
So where do we go from here? This is a a challenging time for many that have had a role in this conflict. And in that, I include the families and the friends of anybody that contributed. Without the support of our friends and families at home, we military professionals aren't able to do what we do. To the many spouses, significant others, friends, children, uh, families of those that serve, this is your time to reflect also. These are also your contributions. If you've supported uh, the, the the troops and the military, then this is your contribution also. It's it's going to be an interesting time, and uh, as many of us reflect on on what service means and what our service in the country means, it's important to reach out. And in the UK, there are veterans. There's some UK veterans resources. You can go to www.gov.uk. Uh, search for Veterans UK. They can help service members work through their challenges, provide help and support when they're needed. Uh, The Veterans Welfare Service is part of Veterans UK, and that links up veterans with welfare managers across the country. You can get to the UK Veterans Helpline. That's accessible at plus 441253-866043. Combat Stress is the UK's leading mental health charity for veterans offering free treatment and support to the men and women of the UK Armed Forces. Here in the US, you have the Veterans Administration has a wealth of resources and that that can sometimes be overwhelming in itself as how many resources are out there. But there are vet centers in almost every town and city. Um, the Veterans Crisis Line is is online or you can reach them at 1-800-273-8255. Uh, pro- uh, organizations like the Wounded Warrior Project and Rally Point are both great resources to connect with other veterans that can help. And, and it's it's not all doom and gloom. Sometimes it just helps to to reconcile your service and 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 talk to other like minded people that have similar experiences. And everybody's journey is their own journey. But but sometimes it's great to just talk through. Um, your thoughts and ideas and challenges that that you may have. Share that with your friends, with your family, coworkers, your former service colleagues. I know personally my father served in Vietnam. He did three tours, and it wasn't until he was well into his 60s that he opened up to me about it. Um, that generation didn't have the 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 resources available to them that we do now. And the awareness about about mental health and 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 behavioral health and and well being that that I think we I think we were lacking that back then. Um, so right now, what am I doing? I'm checking in on my friends. They're checking in on me. And and despite what you see in the news and the flood of mixed emotions that comes with that, I believe it's important to just recognize your own contributions and those of your peers and the immediate effects of those that those contributions had um i know that was a little bit lengthy it's aviation related we we um would be naive to ignore the conflict and what's going on in afghanistan so i thank you for just giving me a couple minutes um on this platform to uh, to at least share some of my thoughts now 
uh, regular viewers of the show will know that quite often we're rather guilty of chatting uh, through some of the segments that we play. Uh, I think for the first time ever, uh, we basically all sat here <laughs> in silence listening to... Um, can I just say, Armando, we're very moving... Uh, piece uh, and some of those photographs have really, very well re- done. Yeah, really sort of put it, mm. put it, well, not put it in perspective, but it, you know, it's sort of, for me, it's made something that I openly admit that I don't know a great deal about um, very real and uh, a thing, if that makes sense. So, uh, you know, thank you for that. There's also a lot of love in the chat room, actually, Matt, mm. for uh, for that particular segment. Yeah. Um, Neil Bryden, Richard Adams, Tanya, Dirk, um, all loving that. Tony S. Yeah, indeed. Mm. Uh, well, Matt, that's why we're here. Uh, that's why we do a podcast is to, you know, things that people don't know about. It's, a, it's about enlightening people about, you know, usually it's lighthearted topics, but this is... You know, you guys brought me on to do military aviation, and mm. and uh, just like in commercial aviation, there's there's the good and the bad. Yeah. You know, uh, when we when we talk about commercial aviation and mishaps and and things, I mean, uh, you know, I don't know that we're we brand ourselves as an educational podcast, um, but we certainly have good conversations. I appreciate your guys' experience on on the you know everything that we talk about. Um, my particular experience isn't unique. That's another part of this is, is there are hundreds of thousands of, of men and women that have served uh, in so many roles. And it's not just the military. It's those civilians, the contractors, the NGOs um, from, I can almost guarantee every country that, that we have a listener in has uh, some kind of role or contribution uh, not just to the conflict in Afghanistan, but, you know, Somalia, Syria, Iraq, um, Yemen, Thailand. There's conflicts that, that continue to go on. Um, you know, there there's some internal conflicts that have gone on for 50 years, 85 years uh, in the Middle East. This one is one that just kind of brought everybody together. And I, and I think um, I, I think my experience is, is not unique. I think there's a lot of people that are your neighbors and the people that are sitting next to you on the tube and on the bus and in your workplace that, that have similar experiences that you probably don't know. Mm. Absolutely. It's, um, yeah, it's, uh, I, 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 it's, it's rare. I'm on, I'm, I literally, I have no words really. I, I, I don't know. Uh, Nev, I don't know if there's anything you wanted to add really. I was just thinking that, of course, <clears throat> all the images that we're getting of Afghanistan today are hardly reflective, are they? I mean, no. we're, we're, we're subjected to 24-7 news, jerky camera, uh, chaos going on at Kabul mm. airport. But th- that, la- that last sort of 15, 20 minutes gave us a time to reflect on yeah. the real meaning of it all and I, and I think that um, when you think of the number of people that have been out there over the last 20 years and the loss of life um, on on both sides yeah. of, of the conflict and, and many NATO countries being involved as well it really does bring a lump to your throat and um, I think that uh, your 
perception of it, um, Armando has given great food for thought to us mere civilians that mm. you know sit on our chairs and do Monday morning quarterbacking and saying how we wouldn't have done that or how we could have done that better. We weren't there, and you know I, th- I think it's you know a massive respect to all the military personnel that put their their lives on the line uh, for the rest of us. Yeah, I appreciate that, and and everybody, uh, military service people are are they don't know how to take a compliment. They don't know how to take gratitude. Um, simple things like when you arrive in Baltimore, or you arrive in London, or you you get off that C seventeen back at Bryce Norton, and there's you know just short of a brass band and 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 a, a menagerie of animals greeting you back. Um, it's difficult for a lot of service members to internalize that gratitude. Uh, we don't know what to say. It's, it's, uh, it's not just a job, but it's a life that we signed up for to do just like your first responders do just like anybody signs up, you know, to, to do something they're passionate about. Um, so it's interesting when, when people say thank you <laughs> and, and I, you know, you don't, you don't really know what you're welcome. That's not a, that's a weird thing to say when you're coming back from, from combat. Um, capitalize on these people. You know, I, I think we're all in unique roles to, to accept these individuals back into society and use them, put them to work. They make military people make great workers. They're so dedicated. They're so, able to solve problems, complex problems and dynamic situations that, that the best thing you can do is, is, is give them a role back home that they can put their skill set in. Um, that's in any country. I, I have worked with amazing, I, I, you know, as you guys know, I was, I was spent most of my career in special operations and special operations is, is, is very much a multinational thing. Um, that I've made some amazing friends that that I continue to keep in touch with from other countries, especially the UK, because because I was flying with with uh, a lot of UK special forces guys um, uh, in Iraq uh, specifically was most of my experience. But uh, these are wonderful individuals to take back into society and, and integrate them into your into your workplace and to your local society. So uh, we, we've got some uh, comments that are coming in uh, in the chat room, Armando. Now, uh, hopefully you've got that in, in front of you. Uh, obviously, we we need to be very careful here because we're not the place to be having a, a political debate, obviously, <laughs> no, about what's, no, 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 what's no. going on here. But there are some, uh, you know, some questions, uh, one particularly from Dirk, which, uh, you know, uh, sort of saying, uh, what would, uh, Armando, what would be the advice that you gave perhaps to us mere mortals, uh, to someone confronting them, um, you know, about, about what's been happening? Um, well, it's not specific to Afghanistan. You could, you could take any conflict, um, you know, the French in Africa, the Cubans in Angola, the, you know, the uh, Portuguese in, in Brazil, the British in the Falklands, right? Mm-hmm. What, <laughs> what is it all worth, right? I mean, yeah. all, all we can do is follow the advice, maybe not the advice, follow the direction of those that are elected to, to execute their orders. Um, yeah. 
it, it's an interesting question, right? So how do you value service? Well, you know, at the end of my piece there, I, I've been asking myself this question over the last couple of days anyways. Um, and, and, and you can, you almost can't worry about, about those things that are out of your control. Mm-hmm. And, and um, when I was a, a senior leader in the Air Force, um, I had the most amazing, smart individuals, very uh, critical, critical thinkers, analytical minds, people that, that were nothing less of than intellectuals. And they had the ability, they, they, everyone has the ability to criti- critically think about their actions and how it affects others. And um, <laughs> it sounds kind of weird, but, but sometimes I would have to remind them that it's not their job to think about those things. It's not their job to think about what's going on at Downing Street and what's going on at the Pentagon. Um, it's perfectly acceptable to have an opinion. Mm-hmm. And, and you don't want people to, to not have an opinion about what they're doing because that's where critical thinking comes from. And that's, that's what you need the most in, in, a, in a conflict is people that are able to uh, operate autonomously within a small team. But um, – you know, it's, it's, it's our job. It's your duty. It's not, it's as long as you're proud of the accomplishments that, that, that you achieved while you were there, did you execute your task? Did you execute your mission? Did you uh, look out for your teammates? Did you return safely? And if you lost a teammate, a teammate that are you honoring them with the service that you completed, Did your unit and your organization, uh, execute their mission in an honorable way, and that's honestly all you can all you can uh, wrap your head around, you know, because because you you really can't work worry about foreign policy. How, I don't know very many conflicts that have a positive outcome from a foreign policy. Nobody wins. Everybody everybody loses mm-hmm. in any conflict, even the most the most righteous conflicts. Mm-hmm. Somebody lost, right? Yeah. <laughs> And, and uh, at the end of the day, civilians lost lives, and you know, yeah. no matter how careful you are, I suppose in these things, you know, it's, it, you know, that two countries go to war, but uh, it is the civilians that, uh, you know, suffer, I suppose, the most. Um, yeah, Dirk is uh, Dirk X mate, mm. makes a good point in the chat room. Is there mm. sufficient care for soldiers coming back from Afghanistan? Um, I think it depends on the country's culture. Um, so I think Western countries are, are, are pretty good about it. Those resources that I outlined for, um, for Veterans UK, um, you know, the, the UK is unique in that you have the NHS and, and there are specific segments of the NHS that are, that are uh, tailored towards veterans and veteran care, uh, regardless of how long you served. Um, here in the U.S., there, there is the Veterans Administration, which is fantastic at, at what they do, um, in addition to, to – dozens of of large private organizations and non-for-profits and charities that that take care of veterans um when you talk about uh countries like kyrgyzstan uzbekistan um that have contributed so much also the i don't know i don't know that those countries have the the necessary resources um for people to to have an outlet and have a reconciliation uh, internally, um, if there isn't one, create one. <laughs> you know, yeah. in, in this in this crazy world of pandemics and things, we have our pods. Create a pod. 
create a virtual pod of, of people that you can, that you can talk to. And we have, you know, we've gotten feedback from, from listeners in, in, uh, lesser developed countries. And, and sometimes mm-hmm. we here in a podcast and our friends over at APG and opposing bases and all like we, you know, we, we have this audience of, of people that we've never met yet. You have this weird ability to affect something. And, and, and this could be one of those things where if, if you have, whether it's Afghanistan or, or you've served um, in your own country or, or regional conflict, uh, it's okay to talk about it, and and maybe you have to keep that on the on the download for it's a cultural thing, right? But um, yeah, yeah. I I mean one of the I mean Mike has made a couple of uh, interesting points or, or a couple of comments here saying it's a matter of duty and doing your job half a league, half a league, half a league onward, uh, and also saying that it's not about the politicians, it's about the guy next to you. And I suppose if that's the one thing that we can we can take away from from this or this this whole awful thing is that actually let's forget about the political side of things let's concentrate on on the actual humans that are are involved here it's uh yeah it's uh i think um i th- i think that's probably a, a good place to sort of uh bring this to a bit of a close i think uh if uh, everybody's in agreement there nick codling's a very nice it. comment from yeah nick. very nice comment in the chat room here it's all your fault armando is saying i've been so absorbed by watching you guys on my ipad that i've only just realized it's got dark and i'm sat here with no lights on <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is uh, which is uh, a testament uh. to uh to it uh, well as i say on behalf of the the whole team uh, armando thank you very much for taking the time yes, to put well that together done. thank you for sourcing those pictures as well i i I've, as i say i found the whole thing very moving and uh, i'm sure if you don't have any objections that we'll perhaps make that available for other people to you know make it available um for people to watch in on its own little um in its own little uh, little bubble shall we say so uh, thank you yeah. for that absolutely if you've got questions in the chat room we're going to wrap up oh hello um, we're going to wrap up the show now, but we'll stick around after after yeah. we go off air and, and, and we can have a chat and, and yeah. answer some more questions on there, too. So I guess that's a shameless plug for everybody to come over and watch us live on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, Carlos, if uh, we could trouble you to wrap us up fairly sharpish then. Yeah, we'll, um, uh, we're going to start yeah. to wrap up then. Uh, episode 380 of the show. Uh, big thanks to everyone who's joined us this evening. Don't forget our social media links, if you don't already know, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, search for us on there plain talking uk don't forget as well that whatsapp number plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six if you want to get your picture featured on the green screen behind me and matt here in the studio you can send that picture to that number or you can email it to podcast at plain talking com uh, you can send voicemails and uh, pictures into there as well uh, our website all the w's dot plain talking uk dot com is where you can find out all about us and the team and you can also find some good links on there to our patreon page our paypal page and also our shop as well if you want to purchase yourself one of those ptuk t-shirts as worn by armando in that clip he done for us earlier and you can also get yourself a PTUK mug if you want to drink your coffee, tea, or whiskey mm. uh, out of something incredibly whiskey? gorgeous to look at. 
Uh, don't forget to subscribe to our Why, channel as well. Why, whose pictures on it? Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well and to click on that subscribe and click on that bell icon uh, where you'll get notifications when we go live to do a show. And also on our website, you'll find the Amazon link to do your shopping through, which I'd done last night and ordered 58 toilet rolls. Lovely. So you can do things uh, th- like thanks that. Thanks for sharing. That Amazon link. <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay. I use it. I use the Amazon link on our website. Why, you use toilet say. paper, I should hope I so. Know, uh, I know. Also, but, actually, just as you're wrapping up there uh, on the subject of pictures behind us, thank you very much to John Jester who sent us the picture that we have up on the yes, wall behind well us today. So thank you. Beautiful picture. Beautiful picture. So you, yeah, if you want to yeah, feature I, your picture on there, send can it. Can I just us. point out that it's taken from the left side of the aircraft from the captain's window because he uh, just uh, upgraded. So congratulations hey, to John Jester. Hey, he is now a, a captain of the Queen of the Skies. You live literally as I, say, I completely wasted on me i didn't know that at all so thank you thank well done john absolutely indeed there we go. so uh, there we go then that's all the links you need for the show and don't forget if you're an audio subscriber or audio downloader of the show leave us in the review on itunes we'd love to hear a review on itunes and that also helps to uh, push our show up the league tables on itunes I, well we haven't heard from nev for a while so i think nev, nev should say our final goodbyes oh well, that's very nice <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no thanks everybody for joining tonight and uh, sorry for the slightly delayed start due to a bit of uh, technical, technical weirdness yeah. which we probably still haven't got to the bottom of yet but we, no. we will before next week no, show, indeed i'm gonna have a very busy weekend in the studio i think i think so yeah, <laughs> but, uh, yeah i'm off on uh, wednesday Stay down to the West Country, down to Bristol, to do the interview Ooh. with Johnny Palmer. Can't wait for that. And I shall come back with lots of stuff, and uh, it should be a good laugh. Actually, we're really looking forward to seeing him. Yeah, can't wait, can't wait. That's it. Take care, everyone, and we'll see you all see next, you next week. Friday. Bye bye. Have a great Bye-bye. weekend. <laughs>